the 2-2. He got him, 100 miles an hour. That's an impressive eighth inning for Dylan Betances. He gets Davis, Kinsler, and then he strikes out Miguel Cabrera for out number three, overpowering an MVP and a triple crown winner. In the five seasons before 2019, Dylan Betances was one of the most dominant relievers in baseball. Whipped just over one, 14.6 strikeouts per nine, four straight All-Star games. That's the guy the Mets hope they're getting. Some risk? Absolutely. He's 31 years old. He pitched in one game in 2019 thanks to a shoulder impingement and an Achilles tendon injury. But that risk probably allowed the Mets to sign him. Otherwise, the price would have gotten crazy. If you look at the Mets' bullpen a certain way, you can see it being really good. Familia and Diaz bounce back. Brock and Lugo and Wilson. Now but Tonsis, as good as there is. One-year deal with a player option for 2021 and a vesting option for 2022. There are no sure things, but this potentially is a very good day for the New York Mets. Welcome to a special edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, December the 26th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If there's a podcasting service out there that you use, I almost guarantee you that the Talking Mets podcast is on it. Merry Christmas, everybody. I had said to you just a couple of days ago that I was, you know, we were done for 2019. See you in the new year. Sunday's podcast was the last one. Well, there was a caveat when I said that. It was like, hey, if there's some big news, and I think on Christmas Eve, we all could agree the big news, the Christmas gift that the Mets and Brody Van Wagenen uh, bestowed upon the fan base with Dylan Batances signing a contract helping bolster the bullpen in a big way. And, well, that's enough for us to uh, get off uh, script here and get a podcast. Joining me in a little bit, our friend, he comes in from time to time, Elite Sports New York, Rich Mancuso. Rich, just a few days earlier, had wrote on Elite Sports New York that he did not believe signing Batances was a good move. It was, you know, he's a high risk because of injury. He certainly is. I'll get to that. Uh, but I disagree with Rich, and we'll see what his thoughts are about this signing now that it has come to fruition. Now, Batanz's deal is good from both the baseball side and the business side. It's okay to negotiate. Remember I told you that, you everybody, just a few days ago? It's okay to negotiate. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody freaking out. What are the Mets doing? Do something. Do anything. They have to negotiate. It sounds like it was a tricky negotiation, but the Mets and their GM, a former agent, played it out in a way which uh, they were comfortable with and uh, was with, not without risk, but they landed the fish that they wanted in the long run and mitigated some of the risk. We'll get to the business side in a second. Again, you have to talk about that. We don't just play fantasy land here on this podcast. We talk about real life and what goes on with uh, uh, with the team in baseball as well, regardless of who the owners are. Now, from a baseball side, I don't see any real downside 
um, to bringing Batances on if healthy. Tremendous upside. In 2018, only a couple of years ago, they had the 20 in the top 20 relievers. Diaz was second. Uh, Familia was 13th. And, uh, excuse me, top 20 pitchers. Diaz, Batances, Familia were all in the top uh, 20 in uh, wins above replacement for relievers just a couple of years ago, 2018. Batances and Diaz in the top 10. Familia was just outside of that, I believe, in the thir- uh, with uh, uh, at 13. So tremendous, uh, you know, the Mets basically have three of the top 20 relievers in all of baseball in their bullpen going into spring training 2020. Want to get even more excited? Well, if you look at FIP, Diaz and Batances were 1-2 in all of baseball coming out of the bullpen. Not a lot of runs being scored against them with the metric that evaluates things that they can control. Even more exciting, both of them, Diaz and Batances, strike at over 15 per nine innings. You can't make a comeback if you can't make contact. Essentially, you're looking at four out of every six. If they, they got the eighth inning for Batances and the ninth for Diaz or vice versa, four out of six batters are not going to make contact. They're going to strike out. This filthy stuff with sliders like Frisbees going all over the place. It's a very exciting thought if both are on. Now, they walk a little bit more than you like, and that certainly can add to some issues with comebacks where any mistake you do make is punishing. But again, when you don't make contact, the odds of uh, of being beat in those late innings goes down precipitously. This also is big because I think it allows you to move some guys in the bullpen into better positions of success. I never felt... Now, I think Lugo has the potential to be a closer and to be a guy at those high-leverage situations. But guys like Seth Lugo, Robert Gazelman, and I'm not even sure Familia at this point until he really shows. And yes, Batance's real issue last year wasn't the Achilles. It was the shoulder injury. And similar with the impingement that Familia has. You have two guys now in that bullpen, and I don't know who's more serious or what the health situation is because those are impingements are a little bit trickier without surgery. But I think until you see what version of Familia you're getting health-wise and performance-wise, you want to move him uh, more into a sixth inning, maybe seventh inning role, a little bit lower leverage over there. Now, if you look also at where the bullpen is now with Batances, Diaz, Batances, Lugo, Wilson, Familia, Brock, Gazelman. I'll even throw Waka in there, assuming that Porcello beats him out in the rotation. The Mets don't trade any other of their rotation pieces, which they should not. I think they should. You essentially have your 13-man staff now settled. Uh, out of those eight guys in the bullpen, seven have closed at some point. Every one of those guys, even though even though you got guys like Randy Levine, if you go back, saying Batances is not a closer, and you could argue that Wilson and, and Brock were closers and maybe not the, the prototypical closers you want. All of those guys for a period, whether it be a season, a period of a couple of months, all have done some closing. And that's big because you know now you have guys that if you have to rest somebody, if you have to manage somebody's uh, innings or health, you, you could go into a game, the right game, and say, you know what? Tonight, Justin Wilson, you're going to be my closer. Tonight, Brad Brock, you're going to be my closer. Diaz needs time off. Patanzas needs time off. Things of that nature. You got a couple of guys in there like Lugo and Gazelman and you know certainly Waka that could go multiple innings. So you really could manage this bullpen if it's healthy uh, much better. And with a signing like Patanzas, it changes everything. So uh, 
you really have to uh, like that. Now, from a business side, I know that that's not the sexy part. That's not the part that you guys like to talk about. Everybody, myself included, said, ah, what about Blake Trinan? Well, Blake Trinan got a guaranteed $10 million deal. Looks like Baton says between the base salary and the opt-out is guaranteed pretty much the same. Now, the Mets are protecting themselves. There is some clauses without getting too deep into the weeds here that give him some triggers for games pitched and things like that. Uh, the Mets don't have to commit long-term. If Baton says opts out, it's an extreme situation. Either, uh, well, if you opts out, uh, more than likely, well, not more, he will be very good. And that's good for the Mets. So an opt out at the end of the at, at the end of the 2020 season means the Mets got a really good value for that contract, and now they're going to have to go back and negotiate and what have you. Uh, if he's bad, um, there's a player option there, and uh, you know he'll he'll trigger it back in. But it looks like the Mets will still be able to you know mitigate some of the risk with that player option. That's the way I'm reading it here anyway. You know over on MLB trade rumors. So there's a little bit of a risk, not as much. And um, I think as you get deeper into the contract, you, you know, we'll hear and things. And, and again, I think the Mets, and if you read Andy Martino's article, it really was a situation where they Mets were in one camp. It seemed like Baton says and his agent were in another camp in terms of the value. And they got together. And I think this is where you all are going to have to start at some point to begrudgingly. Because I know that you don't like having an agent in the front office sometimes. I know there's a lot of you that don't like uh, having that. But having an agent who understands how to uh, navigate contracts, how to get creative. And remember, at the beginning of the offseason, you know, he said the Mets were going to have to be creative and opportunistic. And this is another example of what they did with Batances, with Batances' market drying up, with Batances probably, not probably, most likely wanting to stay home in the New York area, work with his doctors, have some sort of familiarity in his routine uh, now that the Yankees were out of the equation, where he could say, you know what, I'm changing teams, I'm, my life is changing, but there are still some foundations that are the same. Uh, knowing that, they were able to get creative and find ways with Batance's agent to get a deal done where he didn't feel like he was giving too much up and, and didn't have the opportunity, if he had a really good year and was himself, to earn the kind of money that he deserves. Look, th there's no way if he's healthy. Uh, and he doesn't have the shoulder situation, that he's not in the $15 million per year range. It's probably teams looking at him as a closer. Heck, maybe the Yankees want to bring him back. Now, I think the Jared Cole situation eliminated that. Uh, be that as it may, I don't think the Yankees just walked away from him because they know what they have. Uh, maybe they know about his health a little bit more. Uh, but certainly even uh, with the doctor, the Mets doctor over at the hospital special surgery, uh, knowing a little bit about what's going on with Baton says maybe some of the risk is mitigated a little bit. Uh, so that's the effect. You saw that with Andy Martino's report over at SNY's Mets blog that you have with an agent. Here's another thing you should feel good about. Carlos Beltran played a big part. I think uh, reading a little bit about Baton says wanting to be around Beltran, uh, respecting him as a teammate. Uh, you also heard a little bit in the earlier part of the offseason how uh, Beltron, uh, uh, you know, had a big play maybe in the Mets going after Jake Marisnik. Uh, you saw Marcus Stroman tweet out how positive his conversation was with Beltron. Way too early to get crazy about something like this. But remember, remember what I said when Beltron was hired. This wasn't about X's and O's. Anybody with the front office giving them the in-game blueprint with a modicum of baseball information and knowledge can manage 
the few X's and O's coming out of a game. Bullpen can get a little tricky, but if you're intelligent enough and have the right pieces, you should be able to figure it out uh, without getting too uh, goofy and, and, and coloring outside the lines. The real value of hiring Beltron is the kind of coaching and what he brings to the individual players. It's a more of a, uh, of a modern manager way of looking at it. It's not just sitting in the dugout and, um, and, and you know, and, and overseeing. It's about really being a hands-on a coach and mentor, depending on who you are with some of these players. Now, you got to be careful with that. You saw over in, in another sport, the NBA with the Knicks. I think David Fisdale took that to an extreme. But that's a much more X's and O's uh, sport and job than a baseball manager. So, you know, it actually could uh, work. Now, with any signing, there is a negative. Um, shoulder impingement, you saw what it did to Familia. Uh, he, you know, the, the, basically, the season was lost. There was some lat issues in the between. Probably, I would say, the lat issues was him rushing or, or getting behind in his work because of the shoulder issues and trying to make it back, knowing that he had a, a, a free agent year. Uh, the Achilles situation is odd because he didn't go for surgery. It's a partial tear. And historically, anytime you have an Achilles injury, it's a year. Zach Britton had one. He didn't come back till June. So if you go by that math, I mean, he ain't going to be around till September. And that's, I guess, would be good for the Mets, you know, trying to make a postseason run. But uh, you got to be able to get his performance through the first three, four months of the year, if you're going to have any kind of shot at having meaningful September baseball that leads to meaningful October baseball. Now, it doesn't sound like anybody feels that's the case, but this is tricky. I mean, no surgery, healing it uh, the way that uh, you got to trust the doctors. They certainly know more than you or I, uh, but that's something to watch. I mean, that's something that could pop at any time. And I believe it, if I'm not mistaken, it's his landing foot. So, there's going to be some uh, velocity coming down on it. There's going to be some uh, strain, certainly uh, wear and tear that there has to be uh, uh, looked at. Um, from a baseball point of view on a negative, he could, you know, get, like I said earlier, his walk rate could get out of control. Um, Girardi lost faith in him down the stretch in 2017. He had a very bad September and uh, essentially was benched. I mean, he came and pitched in the postseason, but he was benched in a lot of ways for that 2017 postseason. Now, maybe that wasn't fair, because if you look at his numbers throughout the year, you go to his splits, he was every bit Dylan Batances at different parts of 2017. It was September, and, uh, you know, Girardi was under pressure to win, and maybe he overreacted, and maybe that's part of, uh, you know, some of the uh, reasons why, and not just that, but how he handled that situation. Uh, why they moved away from Girardi. So there is a health risk. There is a baseball risk. Um, I think that, and we again, I keep going back when people start making declarations on Twitter or media members writing about it. None of us know what kind of money the Mets spend. None of us really completely, we know the Mets are up against that luxury tax uh, cap, but we don't totally know the whole financial picture. And we're not going to know. We're not. They're not going to tell us. And what's amazing to me is, is how well this front office under Brody Van Wagenen is managing the league so that the agents, and the agent tried to kind of say Mets are in, Mets are out, Mets are in. I, I always felt that was coming from an agent. And uh, the writers, you're going to be finding out, you're going to start to see a lot of these rumors that writers are getting are more from agents than they are from ball clubs. Agents know very well how to manage the media. I'll tell you that much right now. Another interesting part of all this 
is the 40-man roster. Now it's 24 pitchers on it. And they got rid of Sam Haggerty off of it. I thought they would jump with Jacob Rehm or, uh, you know, someone like that or maybe a Paul Sewald. I, I said on Twitter, I hope it's Rehm if they get rid of a pitcher because I don't want – I still think there's something in Seawald. Uh, I'd have to look and see what kind of options. I don't think Rame has any more options. So I think they really want to go to spring training and see what some of these arms have. It's smart. guy like Haggerty, uh, he'll, we'll see if he passes through waivers. You never know. With tanking teams, they may grab him if they feel there's some potential out of him. To me, he's a pinch runner backup. I don't think he's going to kill them if he gets sucked up uh, off the waiver wire, being dumped off the 40-man. It makes you wonder, though, with the 40-man where it is, where would there be any more opportunities to get veteran reliever arms? Because I think it's important. I think if you go back to how they want to be opportunistic as well as um, creative with contracts, there are going to be guys out there that may have to land minor league deals. Now, the game is not nearly as stagnant from player movement in the offseason as a year ago. Uh, but you can go out there, you know, what is a Will Harris going to command on the market as January, as the calendar turns into January and he starts to look up and says, you know, pitchers and catchers is a month away. Can the Mets get him on a reasonable incentive-laden one-year deal? I go for it. I try to go for one more. If there was a guy like a Will Harris, uh, you know, there's Colin McHugh out there. There's still guys, you know, I mentioned Francisco Liriano as a lefty. Maybe those guys are going to have to accept minor league invites and prove themselves. Like I said, like Luis Avalon last year. I would not discount that. Now, eventually you'll have to make a decision on the 40-man, but just like last year where they were able to store guys like Dini Echeverria and Carlos Gomez, you know, Hector Santiago in AAA for a period of time, even if it's just for eight weeks to start the season, it allows you to get an extended look at these veterans. It allows you to see what you have on the big league roster. And inevitably, you're going to need some more arms. You know, I, I'm not uh, naive enough to believe that the eight arms that I mentioned with Waka and that bullpen, none of those guys are either going to struggle, be injured, or even if they, even if they do well, need some kind of time off with a, a short uh, injured list stint at some point. You're going to need depth. That's why, as we talked about on Sunday, the development of the Riley Gilliams and the Steve Villanese and all those guys in the minors that, to this point, it's been years since the Mets developed their own arms. Um, maybe they're much more bullish on some of these guys, and maybe they feel with some of the coaching changes they made up and down the organization that it'll be better. Uh, let's hope, because they're going to need those guys. At some point, you can't keep signing every veteran out there. I mean, the Braves, you saw what they did with their bullpen. They took a huge risk bringing those guys in for multi-year contracts. You know, maybe one of those guys is going to flop, and then you get stuck with this dead money, and it may not matter. Maybe the Braves now owned by Liberty Media, they're willing to absorb some of that, but it's every team. I don't care who the owner is. You don't want dead money, and dead money has repercussions. Dead money leads to bad things. That's why you have to be really careful with how you structure some of these contracts with the riskier free agents in the pool, and Batances falls into that. Um, we'll see. Another example, Mets going with a local guy, whether it be local growing up here or local having some time playing in New York, uh, understanding that the makeup and the character and the kind of people and how they can handle the situation they're coming in here for is going to uh, matter. Uh, this is a competitive division. This is the toughest division in baseball. I don't want to hear anything anymore about how tough the American League is. This is the toughest division in baseball, and the Mets are trying to use every edge. And I really think this signing 
is a marriage that happened because a guy really wanted to stay local, but he wasn't going to just give his services away for uh, too much below what he felt his worth was. And an agent understanding uh, with his financial people and legal team had to navigate and get a creative contract that he can achieve that goal. And I'm not sure you you could see that done with um, a, a lot of GMs out there. And I think that that's going to be an advantage that you're going to see as time goes on when I think there are going to be players that can give the Mets meetings. I think there's relationships that this guy has that is he continues to work. And, and, and I'll tell you what, if Brody Van Wagenen fails, it's not going to be because he didn't work and he didn't put every bit of effort into this. He gave up a lot to take this job. Remember that. Gave up a lot. Uh, and there's probably a lot more aggravation in this job than he would have had in his old job. So knowing that, you need to understand that he's not going down here without a fight. He's not going down because the media says some mean things to him or because the fans you know, wanted some um, 30-something-year-old uh, analytics guy because they could identify better with him because he, you know, he's a fan graphs guy. You know, that's not why... Uh, you know, nobody cares about that. You know, he's not going to worry about that stuff. He's going to go and try to build this team and continue to. And if you listen to him, he's never lied to you guys all off season about how the Mets were going to go about things. That's the important thing. He never lied to you guys. And um, I, I think the Mets are playing out the off season as we expected. It's been a little bit longer than I think you want. You know, the se- do anything crowd, do something. It's not how you negotiate. If you guys negotiated with these agents, you'd be throwing them piles of money when they walked in the room. They'd love you. They wouldn't even need to use the media to play agenting games. So anyway, uh, we'll be interesting to see what's next. I do expect them to try to bring in probably more on a minor league deal with a spring training invite, maybe some veteran arms. Although if there is a, a, a veteran reliever that makes sense and, and you'd have to put a 40-man spot up for, I mean, there is guys that you can designate off this still. Um, I don't know how many more positional players you got, you know, more than 50% of the 40 man is pitchers. Uh, but there is, there are guys out there, but you do, you do have basically a full, uh, 13 man staff right now, uh, 13 and then 13 for the 26. So, uh, eventually a gazelleman or, you know, if somebody has to head to the DL to start the year, uh, there is going to be decisions that have to be made that some guys have options and guys are going to have to perform. In spring training, I don't think there's going to be any guarantees. I think everybody's going to have to come to spring training ready to earn their position. And like I said, uh, for the last couple of years, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, Absolutely beautiful thing. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Mancuso, Elite Sports New York. He was against uh, the Mets going after Batances earlier uh, in the offseason. Let's see if his attitude has changed now that Batances is signed and he's seen the contract and some of the risk that was mitigated by a creative deal between Brody Van Wagenen and Dylan Batanza's camp. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. You know what, if Dallas has a curveball that he's had the past couple outings, it doesn't matter whether you throw up lefties or righties. He's been so dominant. Wow. Strike three. I mean, really, I mean, what, what do you I do? Just, what did I just say? Why go up there with a bat? He didn't use it, did he? Just a lock. I mean, it, it just freezes you as a batter. Or 0-1. Now it's 0 2. Now it's 0 3. See <laughs> He's 0 for his last right. 18. Well, I tell you what, if you got anything else to read this inning, you better get it done quick. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Three up. Three down. Three strikeouts.
Rich Mancuso, Elite Sports New York, and uh, here he is the day after Christmas. Christmas present under the tree for Mets fans, Dylan Batances. And uh, Rich, a pleasure to have you on. Merry Christmas. And uh, just a few days earlier, it did not seem like this was realistic. And as a matter of fact, as I told the listeners in the open, you put on Elite Sports New York some concerns about this possibility if it transpired what are your thoughts uh, now that you've had a chance to marinate on this over the christmas holiday hey mike first of all merry christmas to you and everyone who listens to you and uh the best for the new year to come um you know mike as i wrote i i, I before the signing before this all transpired and i was as shocked as you as everyone else i thought it'd be a risk if the mets did it only because uh, he didn't pitch last year and concerned about another player coming over to the Mets that uh, has a history with injuries, despite his success. And as much as the bullpen is being revamped, and this was a great addition for that by Brody, uh, I still have little doubts about it. I, I, I Overall, not a bad move, but doubtful in the respect that he has to rebound from the injuries he had last year. But if he is healthy, this is a good one. And then you have uh, a bullpen that just about has been revamped and could, could produce, providing the others rebound. You know, Diaz from Lear and such from last year. But, look, I, I, uh, I don't like the fact that it comes down to this. I don't like the fact that you have a, a guy here coming off injuries. That's the one major part of it. Two, um, He's 31 years of age, and he could be susceptible more to injuries uh, based on what he had last year. And, but most of all, um, it's, a, it's another part of the Brody signing uh, in a positive respect that it revamps the bullpen, again, providing Dylan Betances is healthy. And if he is, then you have a guy who has struck out 100 batters, five consecutive years, when with the Yankees, has a New York presence, knows how to deal with New York, is a good guy in the clubhouse, and I saw that covering the Yankees here and there the last couple of years. And also the fact that uh, he goes into a bullpen with Edwin Diaz, if Diaz turns it around, and all of a sudden, the Mets have two of the premier relievers in baseball that are, that are capable of uh, striking out uh, hitters at a rapid rate and at a good rate. You know, they average 100 miles an hour on the fastball, or a little less. So I- I'm not totally against it, though I still say it's a risk. No doubt. Rich Mancuso joining me at Elite Sports New York. Uh, if you're not uh, checking Elite Sports New York uh, yet out, EliteSportsNY.com. You're missing out. Rich is over there as uh, as well as many others. It'd be interesting how the rest of the offseason goes with the bullpen, Rich, because you really right now, you have your 13-man staff pretty much solidified. You have DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Matz, Porcello in the rotation. I have Waka as the sixth starter slash longman, and then you have Diaz, Batances, Lugo, Wilson, Familia, Brock, Gazelman. Now, as far as options, and if the uh, website roster resource is correct, uh, Seth Lugo has options and Gazelman has options. Lugo's not going anywhere. Maybe Gazelman gets sent down to the minors. I don't know um, if it's realistic. I don't know the if 
because he's been in the league a certain amount of time if Diaz's options would require him to go through waivers. Uh, same with Gazelman. Uh, so really at this point, the only moves left to make is veterans potentially on a minor league deal, kind of like what they did with Luis Avalon and Hector Santiago last year. Or you're going to rely on your depth. And I talked about this on the last podcast, the Riley Gilliams, the uh, Villainies, uh, all these guys that they have in the minors, none of which have really worked out. None have developed the relievers, the failed starters. Uh, that's what you're going to be relying on if any of these yeah. guys are hurt. So what do you think? Do you think there's another move? As the, the calendar turns to January and spring training is around the corner, there's going to be a lot of antsy veteran arms. Steve Ciszek, uh, Will Harris just come to mind. Maybe um, Francisco Liriano. Wonder if the Mets would be in on any of those guys. I know that they have a 40-man move that have to make, but I think one more veteran arm might, might do it on the right deal. As Brody said at the beginning of the offseason, it has to be opportunistic and creative. Uh, he was that with Batances. Can he do it again? I think he can. Now, you, you have the flexibility now, with, uh, especially with the Cespedes contract that was reduced significantly, and there's still the possibility that Jed Lowry's contract could be off the table as well if they could do something. Uh, I think that uh, something else is going to be done. I haven't heard anything. I mean, we have the holiday now, so we'll see what happens. So pick up the steam a little bit in the next few days. I think something else will happen, and they might want to be looking at the outfield because defensively the Mets still have to improve. I mean, this team right now doesn't look bad, but they still have that missing piece, if you know what I'm saying, uh, to play ball baseball in October. Um, I think the pitching depth is now good, providing everybody is healthy. I don't think they have to make any more moves with the pitching staff. I, they have that, that extra starter and a bullpen person, Walker and Porcello, which I thought, by the way, were good signings, even though uh, they, you have to expect there'll be rebound years coming from those two. Um, I mean, you know, you hear names like uh, Jeff McNeil might be still going off somewhere or J.D. Davis or – you know, uh, the bench, it, it, let's just assume that uh, Brody wants to add something to the bench. He can do it. He doesn't have to do it because when you look at it, assuming Lowry is uh, still there or not, and you keep Dom Smith, you know, you, your bench is not that bad. Uh, you know, I, I and I don't, I don't buy into this rumor about no one on Dondo or anybody like that. I, I, I think – Brody's going to be looking for another position player. And I wouldn't rule out that Marte is still a possibility for the outfield. I wouldn't rule that out. We, we, we thought Pretendis was just about done to over, right, Mike? We, we didn't sure. think Pretendis. One thing about Brody that we come to expect is we don't know. You hear and we don't know. And, he, and that creativity that we've been talking about since last year it does exist, and it's very strong with him. He He's always looking to make this team better, and uh, I, I don't think they're done at all. Now, who it will be, I can't tell you. That's something we have to look at, but I do expect some more movement um, in the next month prior to spring training. I will tell you this, Rich, and I have Rich Mancuso with me, uh, Elite Sports New York. I am not in favor of trading Brandon Nimmo for Starling Marte. I am not in favor of trading J.D. Davis. Uh, I, I certainly think Dom Smith might be a bit of a uh, 
is a good bench bat for them to have and a hedge. I mean, look, I don't think Pete Alonso's going to fall off the table, but you would like to have somebody that could spell him if he gets hurt. Remember, yeah. a lot of people are going to pitch him inside, you know, hands, sore hands, you know, broken fingers. You know, there's a lot of risk. You saw that with Jeff McNeil this year. So you'd like to have a hedge of the bat. It's not fair to Dom to have to sit and be a caddy for another year. But remember something, back in the 80s, 90s, when I was growing up watching baseball, this happened. Dom Smiths of the world waited sometimes three, four, five, maybe six years before they were free agents, before they got a shot. Uh, you know, think of Dave Maggot and how long it took him when he was behind Hernandez. Took him three, four years before he got a shot when Hernandez uh, broke down. So yeah. I mean, other than Dom Smith, I'm not in favor of a deal that has any of the, um, you know, how shall I say, you know, component pieces on the roster. Now, if you want to start looking at uh, prospects, so be it. I, I think Marte is a nice piece, but I wouldn't overpay for him. That's what I would say. I, I think maybe he's a tad bit overrated when it comes to the hype. Not to say that I wouldn't think he'd have value, but I would be careful about what uh, I give up for him. Yeah, that that's the thing because you know that my we know the minor league system the Mets uh, have just about they got to rebuild that and they have to do that through the draft or, uh, or or trading within or whatever they do and then you know of course teams are going the international market now more than ever with the pool money um, so you, you can't give up much uh, because the Mets really don't have much to give up. And I wouldn't give up a starter. I mean, some people yeah. throw mats I mean, out there. I'd be yeah, very careful about giving up water. Yeah, right. You can't. I, I, that's why I'm. Uh, when I uh, someone brought that to my attention, what about Stephen Matz? And I said, no way. You can't give up a starter. Uh, you know, you you do have a, an excess now, and you have some debt, but you need Stephen Matz in that rotation. You know, he's. Uh, I think Matz is due to have a good year finally, uh, and a breakout really good one in 2020. Um, so, again, as I said moments earlier, we just don't know, Mike. We can hear and hear and hear and play the general manager role, as I wrote about a couple of days ago, uh, and just, uh, you know, speculate what's going to happen. But with, with Brody, we just don't know. But, but right now, I think if, you, if the Mets started the season right now with what they got, uh, they will. They'll be in there. They'll be in, a, of course, the toughest division in baseball. And if that bullpen, which blew those games last year, rebounds and and just turns it around, they have a nice team. I mean, their, their offense to me is not a problem. I don't expect Alonzo to hit 53 home runs again, but who knows? Who knows? But J.D. Davis is a cog in that lineup and is going to get a chance to play every day. I spoke to him. He, he said the season started tomorrow. He'd be ready to go tomorrow. Uh, and, and I expect J.D. to be the left fielder on opening day and to be in that lineup just about every day. And McNeil move him over to third base. So, um, you know, the bench, I think, is something now a little bit that he's got to work on. And uh, keeping Nemo in the in, on this roster, I think, is important. He gets on base, and overall, his play in the outfield isn't bad at all. So um, they're looking good, but creativity from Brody is going to happen. I'm pretty sure there'll be one new or maybe two, not major, but something more to fill in the pieces for this team to uh, definitely be a part of this mix in 2020. Rich Mancuso, Elite Sports New York. I uh, I would like to see potentially Jason Castro splitting some time with Wilson Ramos. I think it would do good for Ramos to have, 
a caddy, maybe even Ramos, not to play more than 90 to 100 games. Uh, Castro yeah. could be, the, you know, not a, a straight split lefty-righty, but something where maybe with the right pitcher or the right team, team with a little bit more speed, maybe get Castro. Uh, it's not going to be your traditional lefty-righty platoon, but you could do that if you want. That's the kind of guy yeah. I'd like to see them spend some money. See, if I was running it, I'd say, look, you know, if Amorte falls to me for a reasonable price without giving up JD, without giving up Brandon Nimmo, uh, obviously it'll create a crunch for playing time, but that's a good problem to have. And and, and Nimmo well, and, and JD yeah. don't don't really have anything to say. But I would I would maybe look to be opportunistic to use a Brody term on a veteran reliever on a minor league deal with his spring training invite, and sign Castro maybe to a deal where you say, hey, look, you may not play as much as you want year one. But Ramos is a free agent at the end of the year. I think the Mets yeah. will try to go after Real Muto, but there's no guarantee there. So at least you no. have Castro as a hedge. Give him an opportunity to say, hey, you might be the starter year two. A chance still as a young enough guy to go out maybe earn a contract. See, I don't know what Castro's playing time expectations is. And, that, and that's something that I think the fans forget about. Well, the Mets should sign X. Well, these guys might want to play more than what they're going to get here. Uh, whether it be a uh, situation with the catcher and even the outfield, it's going to be hard to find playing time. No, it is. It is. Uh, and uh, I, I agree, Mike, you know, uh, the, the catching department, they, they have to do something there. And uh, before the, uh, before Austin Roman got picked up, uh, I mean, it was talk. I had heard that uh, there was serious considerations as uh, the Mets signing Austin Roman, bring him across town. But uh I think that didn't happen now. It's obvious because they were able to grab Batandas and fill that need more for the bullpen than anything. But they, I don't think Wilson Ramos is in that position to play, to catch 140 games at least. I mean, uh, this guy can't start every day. He's older. Uh, I, I, um, I've always questioned some of his ability behind the plate. Uh, yes, he became one of the hottest hitters in the Met lineup second half of the season they had some big hits as they made a run uh but they definitely have a need that they, they need to have, get a backup catcher someone that has experience at a low cost remember now we're not talking about a team here that has uh that flexibility uh to spend another 10 20 million dollars i mean until next year maybe when steve Cohn gets grips of everything which is, could be expected but um Catching is another a backup catcher is a need and um, look I, I'll say it again Brody is Mr. Creativity and a surprise and out of the gate last year he started that with Cano and Diaz and you know it's too bad that they have the Cano contract locked up like that the rest of the way uh, because uh, I would do something there you know switch that defensive lineman around a little bit. Can't do it, right. though. Cano's going to be your everyday second baseman. He's going to be well, there. I think he's like going to need a couple of days off. I said he's going to need a couple of days off. And where you could get creative yeah. is you can almost platoon he and Cespedes. If Cespedes, and look, we heard the, the comments by Eduardo Perez. Uh, there's another thing yeah. now. Where does he yeah. play in all this? It's a, good, listen, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. And, and I think that's where yeah. Marte could complicate it. Um, I would not, again, I would reiterate this. I would not trade J.D. Davis. I would not trade Brandon Nemo. No. Um, short not. of I one agree. of the very elite, elite players, which I think you're starting to tear apart some 
You know, it's not the NBA. One player is not going to make the difference, even though we want to no. dream here, you know, on a, on a cold, uh, you know, holiday week, right. you want to dream there. Go back to Cespedes, because we keep hearing that Ioannis is, is uh, looking good, that he's been working out, and that he's ready, that he could play tomorrow, and uh, and he even said that he's expect he's going to have this season of 40 home runs. I, I don't know. You never know with him. But the, the key good thing is, can he stay on the field? But I'll tell you this. If Ioannis Cespedes is in the opening day lineup, and then he starts to produce and has a nice month of April and stays injury-free, that guy, he's going he's gonna to be a big key to this. And then you don't yeah. have to go out and get someone else. But you just don't no. know. That's just you don't business. know. That's a lot there's of ifs. So yeah. many, there's so many question marks right now with that. And right. but uh, you know, I think as a Met fan, you have to look at this as a guy. You know, uh, you, you're down on right now. And but his final year and the contract that's been reduced, and he's healthy. I mean, this could be a big difference maker in the Mets lineup. You know, and 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 maybe they're looking at that end of it. Uh, it there's so many questions still to be answered before opening day they're not really significant uh, uh things to 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 be concerned about but the concern is if you're going to have you when assess but it's helped if he comes in and he and they don't make another move because they're expecting to put him in there every day and then he doesn't produce well then you gotta wait until the trade deadline and see if we can pick up someone else which no, the trade deadline's been moved back, you know, with the new contract. There's so many things going on, so many different things to look at and uh, before opening day. And uh, rumors will be rumors, as we know, as we know. And uh, we just saw that with Batanzas because that was a, uh, that was a gift. It was a surprise. And I just hope it's, uh, it works out for the, for the Mets. I really do. Are you expecting Batances to be ready opening day? I mean, look, I know he didn't tear his Achilles. He didn't have surgery, it sounds like. But Achilles usually is about a year. I mean, look at Zach Britton. Look at Kevin Durant. I know that's yeah. the NBA. Um, are you expecting him ready April 1? Uh, you know, ready, you know, what, February? Pitchers and catches, what, it's February 10th. Are you expecting yeah, that? Do, would you be surprised? Yeah. I mean, I know there's going to be the press conference next week. Uh, but um, I believe next week on Thursday. Um, are I you expecting so, yeah. that? Are you expecting him to be ready, pitchers and catchers, and that when you're at, down in spring training or covering the Mets, you're going to be covering an active Dylan Batances? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm. Uh, one insider told me that he uh, he's recovered and he's throwing the ball well, and uh, his velocity is fine, and he's not having any issues. But he's not throwing actively off the mound, but, but he will. That's a step-by-step process coming off an injury like that. Um, um, but that he's fine. He's healthy, and he looks good. He's in great shape, and uh, I do expect him to be a part of opening day. I do. I'm, from what I'm hearing, it's an all-go. All and, and, and again, as much as I say it's a risk, I don't think uh, Brody or the Mets hierarchy would have signed him if they saw something different. And if other teams that were in the mix for him, including the Phillies or the Dodgers, maybe the Twins or whatever, uh, if there was anything wrong with him health-wise, I don't think Delos would have been looked at uh, as someone who could be a key part of their bullpen. You know, so yep. I expect him to be okay. And, uh, again, if he stays injury-free, this is a good move. You can check Rich out a couple of places, Elite Sports New York, EliteSportsNY.com. You could also get him at... 
LatinoSports.com. He has a, a piece on Batance's uh, after the signing. If you go to Elite Sports New York, you can read some of his concerns just a few days before Christmas about the Batance signing. You get both both arguments there. Then you get to listen to him on this podcast. If you want to actually check out Rich on Twitter, at uh, Ring786. Rich, anything else you got going on before I let you go? Uh, it sounds like you, uh, you got just, shot full uh, of stuff. Yeah, there's, 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 I mean, this has been an active baseball offseason, so there's been so much to talk and write about. Uh, and, you know, I'll just be getting ready for spring training. Of course, I got the boxing stuff going on, as everybody knows. That That's never-ending. So uh, it, you don't take a day off in this business no more. It's very hard there to do. Well, you, so, uh, there'll be you a column enjoy. coming up today. Yeah, there'll All be right. a column today on Elite Sports. Uh Things we just talked about and a little more, and I invite fans uh, to log on. And thank you again, Mike, for having me on, and for all the fans that listen and follow me. Thank you, and happy and have a happy New Year and a healthy one. You got it, Rich. Rich Mancuso, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, good stuff. Always enjoy catching up with uh, Rich. Uh, uh, Elite Sports New York, Elite Sports NY, and Latino Sports. Um, even though if you're not Latino, it's not in Spanish. You can read the columns in English over there. So. Don't discount that one as well. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we return, final thoughts and wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Did you know you could go back and download old editions of the Talking Mets podcast? On a recent edition, Dan Hayes, Minnesota Twins beat reporter for The Athletic, told us how Jeremy Hefner helped the Twins bullpen last season and what he could bring as the new Mets pitching coach. You look at that group and, and they learned a lot from him and I, you know, there was a constant work with Trevor May over the course of the year to eliminate pitches and, and just simplify things. And I think that really helped him. You look at him and Tyler Duffy, and, and Tyler Duffy changed things around last year. You know, Tyler Duffy was a, a, a two-team fastball guy his entire career. Throw it down the zone, throw down the zone. And, and basically last year they said, hey, we want you to throw up. And, and he went from 92 to 95. And uh, There was a lot of work with, with Hefner on just solidifying the mechanics and making sure the release point was good. And um, there was a lot of instruction that went on. And I think that's something that he's really good at and getting through to guys. And um, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. You know, it might be a little tricky, a first year manager and a, a first year pitching coach. That's going to be an interesting dynamic, but you know, just talking to him constantly about in-game decisions that are made and he's got the right head for the position it's just going to be growing together with uh, Beltran in that first year listen to this and more at www.talkingmitspodcast.com All right, we're back. Uh, thought uh, great stuff from Rich Mancuso. Always uh, fun catching up with him. Check him out over at Elite Sports New York. Uh, great website. Check it out. Uh, doing some great stuff over there. A um, couple of things as we wrap up. So you know what's next? Uh, I definitely would like to see the Mets potentially uh, get another catcher, a better backup catcher. I know the name Jason Castro has come up. You heard me bring that up to Rich there at the end. I don't know if Castro, how much he wants. He's probably going to want $6, 7000000 million, uh, and probably a chance to play a little bit more than he'll get to play here with Wilson Ramos. I think, you know, he being lefty, Ramos righty, great combo. I think that's something to look out for. And then, uh, you know, the Mets really going out there and trying to see what other opportunities they have with the bullpen. I'm not really for them 
ripping the offense apart, trading key pieces for a Lindor or Arenado or even a Starling Marte. I, I think the offense is fine. I think they got to really work on the fringes of the team and, and make sure you have as much depth and, and as much component players. Because I think the component players, I think you'd all agree, is why this team did not make the playoffs at some times last year because they really got a good performance out of the core uh, offensive players and starting pitchers. Now, a couple of show things. If you've noticed, if you've been on Twitter at Mike Silva Media, new logo for the show, that should you should start to see that. I've uploaded it. You should start to see that on the Apple Podcast or Spotify or anything like that uh, in a bit. I don't know how long it takes. Sometimes it takes about a week, so I think it's a much better logo. There had been some criticism in the comments that I'd gotten that the old logo was was bad. It was a basic one. I'm not an artist. Uh, you know, when I originally popped on the show, I worked with the Metsmarized Online guys. That's what they came up with. I had no problem with it. I don't have an eye for design. I'll be the first one to tell you guys that. So um, be that as it may, I think the new logo is great. I hope you like it. Any feedback, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, where you could tweet at me. Great feedback would be appreciated. Can't really plug the person that did it. Uh, until I get permission, and uh, if they want their company to be plugged, that'll that'll be up to them, and I'll, I'll I'll get that going for you. Also, if you go to at Mike Silva Media on Twitter, I'd put a poll up. I was interested going into the new year to see what you guys enjoyed best about the show. Was it the mailbag? Was it the interviews? Uh, was it the you know monologue and the opinion? You know, kind of taking the you know opinion based blog format that I built, you know, what I've done on many, many years ago and put it into audio and then wrap it with some interviews with some uh, former players and, you know, mainstream and independent members of the media, really trying to get you as close to what I felt was a successful model back in the old NYBaseballDigest.com days. And uh, it looks like 75% of you enjoy, to date, the opinion and analysis part of the show, which is me, which is flattering to hear that uh, you guys really tune in to hear what I have to say. Not necessarily, although you enjoy the rich Mancuses of the world and some of the former players that have come through here. And recently we had Dan Hayes of The Athletic and and, and our friend Ernest Dove over at Metsmerized Online. You still really seem to want... Um, you know, what I could provide you. So that's really flattering, and it'll be another four or five days. The poll will be up over. You have to be on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media, and you can vote in the poll because I really would like everybody's voice to be heard, and then it'll allow me to kind of make sure that uh, what will continue to make the show successful and grow, uh, I'll be able to address not necessarily like a a democracy here because I like to make this, hey, this is my product. I believe this is what you guys would enjoy. I have to continue that. Uh, But I also want to make sure that I'm not off base because other than a few mailbags and and, and tweets, and and Twitter's not always the best way to get feedback, you don't always hear from your uh, listeners. It's like this relationship, but I, you know me, I know you, but we really, this is like big wall in between us that we really don't know each other. So, um, anyway, that that's on uh, Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Hope you enjoy the new logo. I think it's great. Brings a, another level of professionalism to the show as we try in 2020. Now that we're about six months uh, of the year or so, have been fully independent, no affiliations. Um, the show has grown under that 
format, believe it or not. Better uh, listenership. And that's not a knock on the guys at Metsmorized Online. They, they're great. I love having them on. I just think getting lost in a website versus me being just my own thing is a little bit easier for me to stand out and market. And you could still have those great people over at that website on your show like we had with the Mets Miners guys, with the Michael Mayer or Ernest Dove. So um, we're going to try it this way for a while. Obviously, uh, there's, ups, there's, there's positives and drawbacks on being fully independent. Sometimes uh, those partnerships lead to uh, things that you would not have otherwise, but uh, I feel at this point doing this now almost 13 years on 2020, my 13th year doing some form of media independently or affiliated. Uh, and I always said I would do five years. And then if nothing came out of it, I'm out. And every year when I say, ah, is this the year I should stop? Is this really worth it? You know, something happens that keeps me plugged into the next one. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the interaction and the comments and for people to say that they have been brought some value for the hour a week. Um, that really, in all honesty, keeps me going. So uh, thank you again. Thank you for the kind comments. I know I said last time that that was it. See you in 2020. Unless something big happens over the next week. Who knows? But even if it did, you know, unless it's something really, really big. I think Batances was a big deal. Uh, I think I will see you in 2020. We'll take the weekend off. You can enjoy this edition, this special edition of the podcast. And look, enjoy the new year. This will be plenty of time to go at this thing in the 2020. Rest up. It's going to be a wild and wacky year. It's going to get wild and wacky pretty quick, especially when pitchers and catchers report in uh, early February. Hey, I want to thank uh, Rich Mancuso. You can check him out. On Elite Sports New York, of course, you can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Send me an email, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your holiday week. Enjoy New Year's. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast starting off in 2020. Be well, everybody. <laughs>